Good morning. Welcome to church. Glad you are here this morning. For those of you, you're stuck with me for a little while. So, uh, kids, you guys can be dismissed to children's church. Run away, run quickly, have fun, enjoy that. I sort of toyed with the idea of leading the kids in this morning because of what I'm going to start with. Let me show you a quick video clip. How many people have ever had a pinata at a party? You ever had a pinata? Take a look. I found some of these pinata clips and strung them all together. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, that's too bad. The adults sometimes get into it a little too much. And you got to be careful when they're blindfolded and have no idea. Oh, he's go. Oh, yeah, he's going down. Yeah. This guy, when you just swing too hard, you can literally swing out of your shoes sometimes. That's too bad. Man down, man down. This, whoa, whoa, careful kid. This is my, this is when the pinata tends to fight back sometimes. Oh, took him out. And this one, scissor kicks him. Pinata takes him. Now these are the, oh, you never hold a pinata like that. You just, that can happen. Even Grandpa with a long pole, you just got to be, oh, Grandpa, this is not going to go well, oh, and all the men said, oh, Lord, this is my favorite, watch this girl, everybody else goes for the candy pieces, she just grabs the whole pinata, I am out of here, see you suckers, I have got the pinata, now, this is always dangerous to walk into the zone. Luckily, that kid's wearing a hard hat, though. This, it's always dangerous. To, you know, you never know when they start swinging out of their shoes. Watch this kid. Oh, there goes the window. But this is how all pinatas end. Just beat the snot out of the pinata, right? Except this is my favorite one. Oh, I'm sorry I hit you, Spider-Man. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here ever felt like a pinata? You took a beating and you kept on taking a beating again and again and again and again. And people keep beating you up and beating you down and they just keep taking swings at you. Maybe it's at work and you got a supervisor who just won't let up. Or maybe it's a coworker who makes life a living hell at your office or at your workplace, right? Um, maybe it's at home and no matter how hard you try with your spouse and your trying everything you can think of, it still leads to an argument and it still always ends up being your fault. Or, or maybe it's your kids and you're, you got one of those kids that's sort of off the rails and they're, they're struggling with pain and hurt and maybe even addiction and they come home just long enough to unload on you, unload on you, unload on you and then they walk right back out the door to go make more bad decisions, right? And you just feel beat down. You've been beaten down. Well, let me tell you, everybody has felt beat down at one point or another. In fact, some of God's greatest leaders were beat down along the way. Moses, one of God's greatest leaders in the Old Testament, right, led the Israelites into the promised land and out of captivity in Egypt. Um, you know the story of him. He Listen to what he said in the book of Numbers, though. This is Moses talking. He says, I'd rather you killed me than treat me like this. Please spare me this misery, Right? Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of his day. He was the guy who called down fire when the prophets of Baal had that contest, right? And he called down fire. And basically, listen to what he says in 1 Kings, just right after that contest. 
It says, then he went on alone into the desert, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Anybody ever said, I have had enough, Lord? Yeah. Job, if you know the story of Job, Job lost everything. In fact, Job, the the thing that's disturbing to me about the Job story is that uh, God allowed Satan to put him to the test, but Job is described in the Bible as a blameless man, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. But look into what he, listen to what Job said in the middle of his trials. He said, cursed be the day of my birth and cursed be the night when I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high and let it be shrouded in darkness. Anybody ever celebrate your birthday with let the day of my birth be cursed? Right? That's what he said. You can tell he's beat down. Jonah, if you don't know the story of Jonah, I'm sure you do, but Jonah was one of the greatest revival speakers in the Bible. He went to Nineveh, spoke one message, and 120,000 people repented. 120,000, okay? And, and if you know the story, right, he, he gets them to repent, and then, a, and then a, a, a plant grows up with a little leaf that grows over his head and gives him a little bit of shade, and he's very happy about that. And then a little worm comes, and it chews away the plant, and the leaf goes away. Listen to what Jonah said. It said, as the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head, and he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. Listen, sometimes we're all just beat down. There's a season in our life where the hits keep coming and you feel, I can't even take one more and sure enough, another one hits you and you're just feeling beat down. Today, as we go back to Acts, the Apostle Paul is having that kind of a experience when he gets in the next city on his missionary journey. If you got a Bible, open to Acts chapter 18. The notes have some of the scripture on there, and we'll have it up on the screens, but I have a great story to tell you today from Acts chapter 18. Let's go back to the map of Paul's missionary journey. If you remember, he started in Antioch up there on the right-hand side, went over to Tarsus, Derby, Iconium, Lystra, another Antioch, the Antioch that's up there, and then went over to Troas, Philippi, and you remember last week, they went from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea and then to Athens. Well, today they are moving from Athens over to Corinth. And Paul is going to experience what I would only call a very low time in his life in Corinth. He's probably facing some depression. He has definitely been beat down. And Paul is all alone when he goes to Corinth, which has sort of happened a, a few times because if you remember, Paul gets run out of every town. He got ran out of Athens to go to Corinth. And before that, he'd been run out of Berea. He'd been run out of Thessalonica, right? And he probably felt like a failure. Every time he goes someplace, they're running him out of town. And when he shows up in Corinth, Corinth is the most immoral city in the world. The most immoral city in the world, Corinth. Corinth is the largest city in Greece, but it's also the most wicked city, okay? It is literally sin city. What happens in Corinth, what? stays in Corinth, right? That's what we're talking about here. That's what Corinth is is like, right? In fact, at the top of Corinth was a giant temple. It was the temple of Aphrodite, who is the goddess of love. In the temple of Aphrodite was a thousand prostitutes. And it was part of their culture to worship at the temple. You needed a good grain harvest, you went to the temple, right? Now, ladies, can you imagine this? Pornography is like the scourge of our day. It's available everywhere. Could you imagine if there was a temple with a thousand prostitutes up on the hill just waiting for your husbands? 
Like, think how bad this was in a place like uh, Corinth, right? And so, basically, in fact, even in Corinth, they would say that if you were visiting, you were being visited by a Corinthian, that actually meant you were being visited by a, pro- a prostitute. That's what it meant. So, Corinth is that place. This is not the easiest place to plant a church, and Paul went there all alone. Let's jump into this story. This is really an interesting story. We're going to go through the whole story this morning of Acts chapter 18. And here's what I want you to see. When you are beat down, Paul is feeling very beaten down at this time. When you are beaten down, you need friends. You need some friends. Listen what happens in Acts chapter 18. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named, what's their name? Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, what? Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla. And they had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. They're probably feeling a little beat down too. They've literally been ejected from their home and from their city, had to find a new place to live. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were, what? They were all tent makers, just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, like always, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was what? He was the Messiah. One of the greatest encouragements you can get when you are feeling beat down is that God would give you some friends to come alongside you. Paul is all alone in this town. It's surrounded with sin and all kinds of, uh, you know, resistance to the gospel. And then he meets Priscilla and Aquila. And they're tent makers. And we don't really know how they came to faith, but my hunch is they were all tent makers together, which means they're sitting on the side of the road sewing tents in the marketplace. And it probably didn't take Paul too long while he was so intense to be like, hey, let me tell you about this Jesus guy. And they began to have these conversations, and eventually Aquila and Priscilla become believers in, in Jesus, and probably the first two members of their church, right? And then a little bit while later, Silas and Timothy show up, and basically he's got his crew around him. And that's when Paul begins to go out there and preach the gospel full time, right? It's like that for us too. How many people agree with this? Boy, I just, when I am feeling beaten down, I just need some friends. I just need my friends with me. I just need some people who know me, get me, care about me, love me. Friends make everything better. Can I just tell you, friends make everything better. You're out, you ever call up somebody, you gotta go run some errands and you're like, just come with me, come with me, come with me. Because it's more fun when you have a friend with you. You, you're ever battling something and you're like, listen, we just need to have some coffee. We need to talk. Do you know it's been proven? There are medical studies out there that show that friends help us ward off depression. Get this. Friends boost our immune system, lower our cholesterol, increase the odds of surviving a coronary disease, and keep stress hormones in check. Their findings didn't seem to be influenced by any other condition or habit such as obesity, smoking, drinking, or exercise. If you're thinking about starting a diet right now, instead just find some friends, okay? Does that sound better? Sound better to anybody else? Go out to eat with your friends, okay? Friends are really the X factor when we are feeling beaten down. And when you're faced with troubles and you're feeling beat down, see, the temptation is, the temptation is when we're feeling beat down is to retreat into a corner. It, it's a temptation to, um, here's, don't head to a bar alone when you're feeling beat down. Get with your friends. Get with some friends, people who care about you, people who will lift you up. How many people know this? How many people have friends that drain you? drain you. 
How many people have friends that lift you up and fill you up? It is so important to know the difference. You know what I'm talking about? When you are feeling beaten down, you need to spend time with those friends that fill you up and encourage you and it'll make you laugh. And by the way, you need to be that kind of friend too. Be the kind of friend that fills people up. And God would use this group of Aquila, Priscilla, Timothy, and Silas to help Paul get through these dog days in Corinth. Here's what else you need while you're in the middle of feeling beaten down. You need to look for positive results. Look for some positive results in your world Verse six says this, but when they opposed and insulted him, Paul, what? He shook the dust. He shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to preach to who? The Gentiles. I've done this synagogue thing. I'm done with you guys. I'm moving on to the Gentiles. Then he left and he went to the home of Titius Justice a Gentile who worshiped God and lived where? Next door to the synagogue. He lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household, what did they do? Are you getting the picture of this? They believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. Paul didn't have much much success at the synagogue, in Corinth, right? And the Jews insulted him and mocked him. And he basically said, listen, I'm done with you guys. I'm shaking the dust off, off my clothes. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pay any more attention to you. We, we sometimes say, I'm washing my hands of this. Listen, this is not on me. I'm washing my hands of this. And so he says that I won't have your bloods on my hand. So Paul moves from preaching at the synagogue to literally next door. Anybody else picturing this in their mind? The synagogue, he just got done with all those people. He's literally next door and people are starting to gather at the house next door to him. As a result, the leader of the synagogue where he was preaching, which I assume is walking by the next door house all the time, walks in, hears Paul teaching, and him and his whole family begin believe. By the way, this guy's name is what? Crispus, which is a great name. Don't you think that's a great biblical name? Crispus. It's also a great name for like a breakfast cereal, like Crispus Crunch or something like that, right? Crispus believes and basically walks away from his post as lead dude at the synagogue to follow Jesus. And when you're facing tough choices, man, you really only have two choices. You can focus on the negative or you can look for the positive. And in this moment, it, it would behoove Paul to say, holy cow, I didn't reach anybody at the synagogue except for the leader of the synagogue when I moved next door, right? That's what happened. He'd been opposed and insulted. And instead, Christmas comes, to, comes over from the synagogue next door and gets converted. And that's true for us too. Man, when you are feeling beaten down, it is so easy to wallow and to think about those things that are giving you a headache and a heartache. You have got to focus on the positive in any situation. I remember early on when I was in ministry, I was encouraged very early on that when you show up to a ministry environment and it's very low attendance, when I was a youth pastor or even in a church and the attendance is really low, you never ever walk into that environment and go, where is everybody? I mean, is this the opening of the football season? Are the 49ers playing right now? They are playing right now, by the way. (laughs) But you never say that. Do you want to know why you don't say that? Because when you say that, you're literally telling the people who are sitting there, you don't matter. You don't matter. So instead, what you say when you walk in and it's low attendance is you say, okay, all the important people are here, right? 
All the important people are here, right? Absolutely, we can begin. Which I do want to say to our online people, we're, we're glad you're tuning in. I wish you were here. We got plenty of room for you here. In fact, they cleared out this whole area here in front, which we call the splash zone. It's fine. Come and enjoy. We, we'd welcome you back here. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that you have to look for the positive. Look for what God is doing. You're tough as jo- your job is tough right now. You have a job, right? You think to yourself, your bank account is empty? You have food in your pantry. The expiration dates may be 2019, but there's food in there. You can eat it, right? You, you, there's all kinds of things. You Moms, your kids are driving you crazy. God has blessed you with children. And I promise you, someday they will grow out of this. I promise you, okay? You, you have to look for the positives in your life or in your situation. But you have to open your eyes and really look for them and see what God is doing. But sometimes... Sometimes you just need a little encouragement. You need a little encouragement, somebody to say, you got this, you can do this. Listen to what it says, because he gets it from God himself. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, what did he say first? Don't be afraid. What else did he say? Speak out. What else? Don't be silent for what? I am with you. I am with you. And no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. Can you imagine the Lord saying that about Sin City? Many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for how long? He stayed for a year and a half. The next year and a half teaching the word of God. God himself literally speaks to Paul in this moment, gives him the encouragement he needs. Paul may have been thinking to himself, you know what, this is worthless. What's the point of this? Nobody's responding in the synagogue. Only a few people have responded since I moved next door. And God himself speaks. How many people would like to have God himself speak to you when you're feeling a little beat down? I would like that, right? Absolutely. Um, And Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. A year and a half. This is really the only time that Paul stays in a place for a length of time where he could be truly considered like a pastor, like he knew these people. He lived with them day in and day out. Do you know it is never, it is never, it is never a time to quit. It is always too soon to quit. Do not quit. No matter what God has in front of you, do not quit. Do not give up. Don't give up until God himself speaks to you and says, all right, move on. Because honestly, God is about to work in those moments. The the definition of success is getting up one more time than you get knocked down. That's the definition of success. In fact, the entire Rocky Balboa franchise is based on that, right? Get up, Rock. Get up. And sometimes you just need somebody to say, get up, man. You could do this. Get up. I believe in you. Get up. I, I know you got this. You ever have somebody say that? Say, you got this at just the right time. That's the kind of encouragement we're talking about. That You don't have to do it in your power. You can do this in God's power. God's saying, you don't have to do this alone, but you got this. He says, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. And God has a, there's a ton of encouragement in God's word. You're reading through God's word, and the Great Commission says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The, in Hebrews, it says, God will never fail you and he'll never forsake you. You got this. You got this. You got this. When you're feeling beat down, you just sometimes need somebody to say, you got this. And then, and this is what God gives him. He says, you need, your, you need God's protection. 
When you're feeling beat down, you just need some protection from God because we are most vulnerable when we are feeling beat down. Listen to what it says here in the story as it continues. This is where the story gets interesting. But when Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. Uh Uh-oh, this is starting to sound familiar. They accused Paul of persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. But just as Paul was starting to make his defense, which Paul has had to do again and again, Gallio turned to Paul's accuser and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names in your Jewish law, right? He says, take care of it yourselves. I don't want any piece of it. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. Get this. This is where it turns. The crowd then grabbed who? Sosthenes. Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. Crispus has become a Christian. There's a new leader in the synagogue. His name is Sosthenes. They break, they grab Sosthenes and they what? They beat him right there in the courtroom. They beat Sosthenes, but Galileo, Galileo pays no attention. This is where the story gets weird, right? Paul has been here before. Literally everywhere Paul goes, he gets beaten down. Everywhere he goes, he, they beat him in the streets and then they run him out of town. They beat him in the streets and then they put him in jail. They beat him in the streets and they, and they get rid of him every single time, right? But this time he stands before the governor. And I can only imagine they're laying out their case against him, Sosthenes and the boys. And Paul goes like this. <gasps> And Gallio says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm not even listening to this. This is ridiculous. I, I, I don't have anything to do with this. I am going to throw this case out of court. And when things go sideways, this crowd that is ready for blood and wants to beat Paul, instead of grabbing Paul, they grab Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. I call him Sauce. I think that's what his friends would have called him. Sauce. What's up, Sauce? Hot Sauce. Sauce. They grab Sauce and they beat Sauce. Silly. In the middle of the courtroom. Guys, this is like a courtroom drama where the judge is up on the bench and he says to the prosecuting attorney, listen, I don't even want to hear this court. You have no standing to bring this. And so you're free to go. And as Paul is walking out of the court, the crowd in the courtroom grabs Sosthenes and starts beating him in the middle of the aisle. And the judge is up there looking at him like, yeah, whatever. Can you imagine this? Like, this is a crazy situation, right? Talk about God's protection, God had promised Paul that no one would hurt him, but I'm sure he wasn't thinking that in that moment, right? I'm sure, this is my impression of it. This is, maybe I have an overactive imagination. But in that moment, when the judge is like, no, I'm not even hearing this, and the crowd starts to grab Sosthenes, and they start beating him, I can only imagine Paul was looking over here like, what is happening right now, right? Paul is like, normally it's me that you beat senseless. What in the world is going on that you are taking down Sosthenes, Right? But we see God protecting Paul in this particular moment in a supernatural way. And this has all been an ordeal for Paul, you can imagine. But Paul has still been put through the ringer. And he's still probably feeling pretty beat down. And sometimes you just need to go home. Amen out of anybody? Sometimes you just need to go home. And so we see the end of this missionary journey here in Acts chapter 18. 
Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, but then he said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Centria. There he shaved his head according to a Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. And then he set sail for Syria, taking with him Priscilla and Aquila with him. They stopped first at the port of Ephesus, where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. That's what he always does. He goes to a new town, goes to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he what? Paul's never done that before. Paul's always like, I'm going to get beat up or run out of town. This time they're like, oh, stick around, man. We'd love to hear more. And he declined. He declined. And he, and he, and he went home. And so we see on the map here that Paul leaves Corinth, goes over to Ephesus, and eventually just heads on back home through the islands there back over he ends up in jerusalem and then back home to antioch is where this thing starts and he leaves for this place called ephesus ephesus is where this takes place right if you have heard of ephesus probably it's because we have a book in the bible called ephesians and ephesians is a letter written to the uh, church there at ephesus and so let me tell you about ephesus ephesus is a big town about three hundred thousand people in ephesus right? Very important commercial city, big harbor. Um, at the time, Corinth had the temple of Aphrodite. Ephesus had the temple of the Greek god Diana. And this temple was one of the most magnificent temples. In fact, it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the temple of Diana. So it was a big place with lots of activity, lots of people coming and going. Would have been a very strategic place to spread the gospel. And Paul, but Paul this time doesn't go alone. He takes with him who? Priscilla and Aquila. In fact, in your outlines there, would you circle and underline Priscilla and Aquila? This is just a little side note, but I think it's important. I'd love for you to see it there. In this particular time, they call this husband and wife team, husband and wife ministry team, been working together, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, if you've ever heard anybody say, hey, listen, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. I don't want anything to do with the Bible because of the way they treated women. I want you to take notice of this particular passage. In this passage... They list Priscilla first of this husband and wife team. When we're introduced to them, it's Aquila and his wife, Priscilla. But now it's Priscilla and Aquila. And we're going to see throughout Scripture, whenever they're referred to, the two of them together, it goes back and forth. But more often than not, about 60% of the time, they list it as Priscilla and Aquila. It's her name first. Now, this is a big deal in a patriarchal society. In a patriarchal society, you would list the husband's name first, but it seems that Priscilla was spiritually dynamic. She may have been the, the leader in, in, of the husband and wife team. Maybe Aquila was soft-spoken, solid, but just very soft-spoken, but she was the outgoing one. And maybe, and the Bible recognizes her giftedness and her leadership by listing it this way. So that's just sort of an interesting side note, but Paul doesn't stay very long in Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila, even though they asked him to stay. Everywhere else, they beat him and ran him out of town, but here they asked him to stay, and he was ready to go home. Sometimes you just need to go home. Sometimes you're just tired, and and you need to recharge after being beaten down. And Paul will go home, but he will leave Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus to continue the ministry there. And so we see this, that when you're beat down, sometimes you just need someone else to continue for you. You need somebody else to continue for you. And that's Priscilla and Aquila in this particular Situation. Although, I want you to see this new player on the scene. Meanwhile, a Jew named what? Apollos, Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. 
He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he had taught others about Jesus with what? An enthusiastic spirit. You got this young guy coming in and he's preaching. And he's also been teaching with accuracy. However, he, only, he knew only about John's baptism. So when Priscilla and Aquila, again listed in that order, heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Acacia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Acacia, asking them to welcome him, and when he arrived there, he proved to be of what? Great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments and public debate, and using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. So along comes the next generation of preacher, right? This is Apollos, who's from Alexandria. Alexandria is a place of uh, great learning and education. In fact, they had a huge university and a library there. Um, it's a little bit like Oxford or Harvard, as you would think of those kind of places in our day and age. And this young preacher, Apollos, that Paul never met, never knew, he had heard and he had taught with gusto about Jesus, but he didn't know the whole story. And so he knew about the baptism of John, but he didn't know what came after that. He probably didn't know about the Holy Spirit. He probably didn't know uh, 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 all that went along with that. And Apollos isn't teaching anything wrong, but he's also just doesn't know the whole story. And so Apollos, to his credit, is teachable. And Priscilla and Aquila come to him and they say, hey man, let us tell you the rest of this story. Let us tell you everything else that you need to know. And to his credit, he absorbed that training and and basically, he believed that, and then he began to preach again, and Apollos um, was sent from Ephesus to Acacia to continue this ministry that Paul began. So that's the story, and it leads us to... So what, Steve? What do I do with that? How do I m- make sense of that in my day and age? Well, let me just say, somebody here came here today, and you're feeling pretty beat down. Whatever the circumstances are, Maybe you're just wore down from, from life that has just been taking its toll. Maybe you've had a series of events that have just like beat you down and beat you down and you've hit some setbacks and they just seem like they aren't letting up. I want to focus you on just a few things from God's very specific message to Paul. And so I want you to see this when you are feeling down. When you are feeling down, these are, this is what God said to Paul and I want you to pull some things out of it. Here's the first thing. Don't feed the fear. Don't feed the fear. The very first thing that God says to Paul is don't be afraid. It's the very first command. Do you want to know why he says don't be afraid? Because there's something to be afraid of. There's something to be afraid of. When they say the diagnosis is cancer, there's something to be afraid of. When your spouse says, I'm thinking about leaving, there's something to be afraid of. But God's promise to us, God's God's message to us is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I'll tell you why. Um, A lot of people love to quote this. They say, the Bible says, do not be afraid or fear not 365 times. There's one for every day of the year. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, let me tell you something. It's not true. It's not true. I have Googled it myself. It's not true. There's only, it just doesn't happen that many times. It's about a hundred, a little over a hundred times in the Bible that we see that. But here's the thing, whether it says it a hundred times or just once, that doesn't mean it's not true. God is saying, don't be afraid. And I'll tell you why. Because fear becomes a death spiral. Fear becomes a death spiral. 
Worry and fear, worry is fear's kissing cousin. It just becomes a death spiral when you begin to wallow in it. Don't feed the fear in your life. Don't feed it. I heard a pastor one time say, and I love this quote, fear is the dark room where negatives develop. Turn on the lights. Don't let fear grip you. Don't let it drive you. Don't let it, the the thing that, what fear is, is fear is you've gone down the path of the worst possible thing that could happen before it's ever happened. So don't let it, don't feed the fear. In in 2 Timothy 1, Timothy is one of those players in this in this story, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear and timidity, but of what? And what else? And what else? Don't wallow, don't feed the fear, okay? Here's the second thing that we see from God's message to Paul. When you're feeling beaten down, don't ignore your purpose. Don't ignore your purpose. First thing God says to him is, don't be afraid, and what does he say? Speak out. Don't be silent. That's what Paul's always been doing. Paul's job has been to preach the gospel. And Paul goes right back to preaching the gospel every single, every single time he gets beat down and run out of town. He goes straight to the synagogue and starts preaching the gospel again. That's what he does every single time. Our tendency is when we are feeling beat down is to curl up in a ball. When you are feeling beat down, our tendency is to curl up in a ball, pull the sheets up over our head, and stream eight seasons of some show. That's what people do, right? And that is not going to pull you out of it. More than ever, when you are feeling beat down, you have got to keep doing the things that God has uniquely gifted you and called you to do. God has a purpose for you, and he wants you to live into it. And if you curl up in a ball and hide under the sheets, you are going to stay in that, in that season of being beat down. Lean into the things that God has called you to do. Nobody else can do it. Nobody else can lead your family spiritually. Nobody else has the opportunity to reach those people at work that you have. Nobody else can do the things that God has uniquely equipped you and called you to do, and you know what that is. You have got to lean into that. Every time you lean into your purpose, every time you engage your purpose, you're reminding yourself that God is not done. He's still working. He's still alive. He's still doing what he always does. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for we are God's what? Okay, you got to say that like you mean it, folks. We are God's what? One more time. Because some of you don't believe that right now. You're feeling beat down and you don't believe that you are God's masterpiece. He made you very specifically. He gifted you and he has a calling and a purpose for your life. You are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in who? In Christ Jesus so we can what? Do the good things he planned for us long ago. That is what God has created us to do. And here's, here's the next one. Don't forget God is with you. Don't forget God is with you. God's next line in that passage to Paul is, for I am with you. For I am with you. God's presence is right next to you. God offers his protection to Paul and his presence is right there. If you are facing a beatdown right now, Lean into God is right there with you. The kind of God who protects you because he's right there with you. Listen, God is the God of Moses who literally opened the Red Sea to protect Moses and the Israelites from a pursuing army. God is the God of Elijah who who protected Elijah from these prophets of Baal who would have surely killed him by raining down fire. 
God is the God of Job, who he protected Job from Satan himself. He said, you can go after Job, but you can't touch a hair on his head. He's mine. I'm protecting him. And God protected him from Satan himself. And one of my favorites is, is Jonah, right? God is the God of Jonah, who protected Jonah from himself. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Need to be protected from myself. Jonah was disobedient. He wasn't going to go do what God wanted him to do. And he was bitter about it the whole time. And God said, I'll even protect you from yourself, Jonah. That's the God who is with us, who is present, who is protecting us at all times. That's the God. And then this is the last one out of that passage. Uh, Oh, he says, for I am with you. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. The last one is this. Don't isolate from other believers. Don't isolate yourself from other believers. When you are feeling beat down, do not isolate yourself from other believers. In the passage, it says this. He says, for many people in this city belong to me. Remember, this is sin city. He says, many people in this city belong to me. Do not isolate yourself from other believers. Call somebody. Text somebody. Reach out. Ask somebody to go to lunch. By the way, friends, you don't have to have the answers to their problems. You just have to listen to them and support them. Sometimes you don't even need to talk about their problems with them. Sometimes you just need somebody to go out to lunch with. Can we go to lunch and just not talk about my problems? Anybody ever had somebody like that? Like, I just need somebody to walk alongside me right now, right? Just to hang out and to laugh and forget your problems for a little while. By the way, introverts, where are my introverts? Introverts, introverts, I'm talking to you. Even you need people. Do you know that? You don't need as many people. You only need a few people, but introverts need people too. Do not neglect or don't isolate yourself. I heard a thing this week that said, introverts never experience FOMO. Do you guys know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. They never experience it. What they actually experience is phobia. Do you know this? It's fear of being invited anywhere. They're just anywhere. I don't want to go. I'm not going. Don't isolate yourself from people. Don't add loneliness to being beaten down. I want to finish today with one more thing. And this is the interesting part of the story. And you'll have to bear with me a little bit on this because... um, I can't help but wonder whatever happened to Sauce. Remember Sauce? Last time we saw him, he was beaten down in the courtroom, lying there, beaten by an angry mob. And I don't know this for sure. I can't prove it because it's not actually written into the story. But I want you to see something interesting. Because... After this, Paul would go home and go to Jerusalem and back to home, and then he would make a third missionary journey. And on that third missionary journey, while he's in Ephesus, he's going to write a letter to the Corinthians. And you can imagine he needed a letter in this Sin City place. And so he writes this letter to the Corinthians, and he writes it back to them. He spent a year and a half with them. He knew them and knew them well. It's called 1 Corinthians, this letter that's written to them. And I want you to see the very first verse in 1 Corinthians. It says this. This letter is from who? Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of who? And from our brother. Anybody else freaking out about that? Anybody else tripping out on that? Sauce? Sauce is with you? Are you telling me that sauce is now with you? Traveling with you? Doing ministry with you? The guy that led 
the Jewish authorities to bring charges against you? That guy? He's with you? Are you kidding me? He's a part of your team? What? How does that happen? Like, how does that happen? And, and here's my hunch. Stick with me. Here's my hunch. Because that guy who had been beaten down on the ground, beaten by a mob, he had probably been rejected by his synagogue. He had replaced Crispus. He was the man on the upswing. But I'll bet you after that he wasn't. And the mob, the mob that had beaten him down, I'll bet you Sauce was rejected in a way that you and I probably can't imagine. And even though Paul was standing there thinking, normally they beat me right now, I'll bet you Paul looked down at Sosthenes and I'll bet you he said in his heart, I've been that guy. I was a zealous Jew who knew everything there was to know and I persecuted Christians. Heck, I hunted them down and put them in jail and tried to kill them myself. I've been that guy, beaten down. And I can't prove this, but my hunch is that after that beating was over, it probably was a guy who knew what it felt like to be beaten down that picked sauce up and said, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And probably shared the gospel with him. I can't prove it. I don't know for sure. All I know is that a guy by the name of Sosthenes was traveling with Paul and writing back to some people in Corinth that obviously would have known who Sauce was. So when you see someone else who is beaten down and they've taken one more shot, one more shot, one more shot, would we be the kind of people who reach down and pull people who are beaten down up? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you. I'm so thankful for your word and for these stories, God, that come alive in my imagination, Father. God, I know there's somebody here today that's probably feeling beaten down, or if they're not, everybody here can remember a time when we felt beaten down. God, some of them, they just flat out need your presence, that you are God and you are with them. God, some of them need your protection, that the next, uh, the next beat down doesn't come for them, Father. God, so many of us need friends. We need to reach out and we need to be in community and in relationship with other believers, God. But Father, I pray for all of us that when we see hurting in this world, when we see people who are beaten down and beaten up, that we are the kind of people who will get down and help them up and walk alongside of them. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.